Hello, my name is Dean Tavalorus, and welcome to my podcast, which may contain spoilers for The League of Gentlemen's Apocalypse. This is Diabolical, a comedy podcast where four long-suffering friends dissect films' most dastardly schemes, then try to improve them. I'm your host, Gaz, and this week's movie is 2005's TV series spin-off, The League of Gentlemen's Apocalypse. So, Peril Pals, crack open a can I can't, get that coal cleaned, and for the four in attendance, and the millions listening at home, let's get diabolical! Welcome to this week's pod. Joining me are the panel of Peril, who will compete at the show's close to see who can improve the villainous plan of the week the best to earn points for our Season 2 leaderboard. If you would introduce yourselves and tell us who your favourite League of Gentlemen character is, please. Hello, this is Adam, and my favourite League of Gentlemen star or character is Pauline as she reminds me of many tutors and teachers that I used to have. Did your teachers and tutors only have friends who were pens? Yes. <laughs> Best friend you'll ever have. And berate you for getting something wrong. So. Friends. Pens! Pens can be friends! <laughs> Hello, I'm Lord Manly Supreme. And before this rewatch, my favourite League of Gentlemen character was Les McQueen. The fading 70s singer. <laughs> Never quite seems to capture his glory days. <laughs> it's a shit business. <laughs> but actually, that changed after this rewatch, uh, which I'll explain later, I suppose. Mm. Intriguing. Okay. Craig here, and my favourite League of Gentlemen character is Keith Drop. <laughs> From <laughs> Series 3. Finale. Works at the charity shop. Do you need a bag, do you? No, <laughs> you're being rude there. <laughs> Keith Drop is not all he appears to be. Um, if you haven't seen it, I won't tell you, but you should watch it. Yes, yes, indeed. It's it's quite the uh, <laughs> quite the twist. Right, good luck finding it. And my favourite character, besides Dean Tavaloris, is another character in series three. It's a character Mark Gatiss played. I don't think he's named. He's just a strange, elderly gentleman with greasy hair, standing with a clipboard, asking random female passersby. Excuse me, madam, would you like your breast pinched? <laughs> over and over again. And then they're like, they say no. And he goes, okay, no. And he ticks on his... <laughs> on his... <laughs> Good stuff. I also really like, is the vicar called... Uh... Bernice. Bernice. Bernice, Bernice yeah. yeah. She's very funny. She's based on the agony aunt that used to be on this morning, wasn't it? Claire Rayner? No, what was her name? Denise. Denise... Something or other, you know, she had big curly grey hair. She's based on her, apparently. I also have a soft spot for the mayor of Royston Vasey and his one opportunity to not ruin his TV appearance. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't swear all the way through it and he thank him at the end. He says, It's a fucking pleasure. <laughs> and just stares straight into yeah. the camera. <laughs> Played by Roy Chubby Brown, of course. The town itself is his real name, of course, Royston Vasey. The League of Gentlemen's Apocalypse, directed by Steve Benderlack, was released in 2005 to broadly positive reviews and currently sits at 83% fresh on the critic side of Rotten Tomatoes. The best side. 
But what happened in that far-off fabled year, I hear you criddle? Well, I'll tell you now. Pope John Paul II dies. The trial of Saddam Hussein begins in Iraq. The Xbox 360 is released. Angela Merkel assumes the office of Chancellor in Germany. And Prince Charles marries Camilla Parker Bowles in a civil ceremony at Windsor's Guildhall. Also released at the movies were Christopher Nolan's Batman Begins, Steven Spielberg's War of the Worlds, Star Wars Episode 3 Revenge of the Sith, George A. Romero's Land of the Dead, and Park Chan-wook's Lady Vengeance. That's a pretty good year for film, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Nestled nicely amongst that little lot was this week's movie, spinning the inhabitants of the fictional town of Royston Vasey off and onto the big screen, Apocalypse is nothing if not ambitious. Taking place in Royston Vasey, the real world of lead creators slash actors Rhys Shearsmith, Steve Pemberton, Mark Gatiss and Jeremy Dyson, and new work-in-progress fantasy world of the King's Evil, Apocalypse is a tale of worlds colliding. When lovable loser Jeff Tips, dodgy butcher Hilary Briss and German pedo Hair Lip escape Vasey to beg their creators to continue writing the story of their lives, they're met with force by Dr Erasmus P., Sir Nicholas Sheet Lightning, Lemuel Blizzard and Father Halfheart who seek to capture the creators for their own nefarious ends. It's not an easy concept to explain (laughs) in synopsis, as you probably uh, deduced from that. But what did everybody think of the movie? Uh, I love it. I love that it's high concept and they reference what you usually get from a a TV sitcom spin-off when the Vasey characters try to pitch ideas for movies they could be in, such as the characters from Vasey go on holiday to Spain. Yeah, they don't speak the lingo. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was a Are You Being Served episode, wasn't it? Yeah. Or film, was it? Yeah. yeah. I think there's a few that did that. I think on the buses. I think it was Are You Being Served. Are You Being Served went on holiday to Spain, yeah. Yeah, everyone loved about that, the fact that it was in a shop and then the film was, yeah. none of them were in a shop. <laughs> um, I watched an interview with the, the, the four, with the League of Gentlemen on Jonathan Ross and they talk about it on there and then they say... Um, it was like, are you being served? And I think they said another one as well. The other one's only fools and horses because it's that they're running yeah. around chased by the mafia yeah. with a bag of so money. They, yeah. yeah, they do actually talk <laughs> about it as well. So it's kind of like inspired them. So the other thing that I really appreciate about the League of Gentlemen's Apocalypse, and this was sort of true of the TV series compared to other TV series of its era, is that it is cinematic. It's well lit. It's well shot, and the scale is ramped up for the movie. It does feel like a, a legitimate movie version and not just an extended episode. So uh, mm. on all those fronts, I think it's a triumph. Thank you. And Adam, what are your thoughts? I liked it and I enjoyed lots of elements of it, but I felt that season three was a better finished product than this movie. I just thought it was slicker. It story is more engaging. This this it was all right. It, it, the posting was quite well, and it, and I, I actually made notes saying ninety two minutes is a decent length because I was watching late at night, and then by the time it finished, I was like, right, that's me going straight to bed. But there's loads of different elements that I did really enjoy, but I just thought it was a bit of a letdown, just a bit. But I still I'd still watch it again, and I'd still find it entertaining. But I just thought season three was 
was a much better product. Just out of curiosity, then, what's your favourite episode in season three? I, uh, I was trying. <laughs> I just remembered watching the whole thing all together. So series three is the one with the car crash that has Lawrence Well and Bowen in it. <laughs> yeah, and it builds yeah. up over the that's yeah. episode. Yeah. Over the over the episode, that's the whole thing. The whole the way it just that thread running through it and stuff. I just thought I remembered that much, and then I remember watching it at the time, thinking this is this is really a step up for them. And then I just I just feel like this movie it didn't it doesn't emote the same emotions as I felt while while I watched that that series. So, but although like I say, we'll get into it afterwards, and there'll be stuff that I'll be raving about. Cool, Lord Manly Supreme. I'd say I'm similar to Turner. This is my first time watching it since it came out, and I don't remember giving it my full attention back then. But as soon as that kind of the classic theme tune kicked in, I was really ready to revisit these characters and I was excited. And yeah, overall, as Craig said, the, the lines and the visual gags, they, they live up to what we got in the series. And so that was great. But then like Turner says, I felt the story suffered from a bit of indecisiveness. It was like they couldn't decide whether they wanted a story about the Royston Vasey characters or like something completely different. So it felt like a lot of different kind of half-baked ideas thrown together. That's part of the matter of the film, though, isn't it? That they can't decide mm. what, as creators, they want to do. Yeah. Whether that works is... But in the end, I felt the story suffered for it because they were clearly indecisive in real life. That mm. really shows through, I felt. And and so, I, like Turner again, I, I did enjoy it and I'd watch yeah. it again. Yeah. But it wouldn't be in the top 10 films that we've covered on the podcast so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair enough. I'd go along with a bit of everything that you guys have already said. I think as a film, it justifies itself being on the big screen. I think the TV show is fantastically directed. Also, every episode directed by the film's director, Steve Benderlach, it looks mm-hmm. to this day, like I say, I rewatched every episode. Um, it, it still looks absolutely fantastic. Um, sort of gritty northern drama look. There's three distinct shooting styles for each world. The Royston Vasey world is, you know, your wide shots, a few bits of tracking here and there. The real world, our world, is mainly handheld camera. And then the King's Evil, there's a lot of smooth dolly shots, presumably, yeah. to, to emulate steady cam. So I think that's very clever mm. to give each their own distinct look. One particular dolly shot, of course. Mm. Which one there? <laughs> Where it dollies over to... Simon Pegg and uh, Peter <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do you remember their character names, by the way? No. Simon Pig and Peter Cow. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Simon Pig. Uh, Simon Pegg plays Peter Cow, and Peter Kay plays Simon Pig. <laughs> yeah. Is Peter Kay the arse? No, it's Simon Pegg. No, that. Simon Pegg is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, Peter Kay's the arse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Yeah, so uh, as a fan of the show, um, I think I think it's fantastic the meta narrative of it with them trying to create a, a new script, trying to kill off their old, well potentially kill off their old characters and come up with something new. I think it's very successful, not just thrown together in a lot in elongated episode of the show, but trying something quite different, quite ambitious in terms of effects as well. The stop motion Jason and the Argonaut style effects uh, for the that's great the two homunculi. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan. What's an homunculus? <laughs> I also really love that there were obviously a lot of popular catchphrase characters on the League of Gentlemen, and they're the ones that you see right at the start mainly, Edward mm. and Tubbs and Papa Lazarou. 
But I love that they chose for the main characters, characters who had room to grow. And I really love the arcs that these characters have in this film, especially her lip. I think it's genuinely quite moving. Mm, a bit odd, yeah. though. <laughs> Walking off with two little kids at the end. He definitely, yeah. he, he definitely is a child murdering paedophile. <laughs> yes, that, yeah. <laughs> is he also definitely a vampire? Because is that canon as well? I can't quite remember where that falls, <laughs> whether it's canon or not. <laughs> but no, I think I think that's the whole point of free will, isn't it? And and so he he is different at the end. Yeah, mm. yeah. But yeah, that's what I was saying about my favorite character. My new favorite character is Jeff Tips. Jeff's the best. Yeah, all the best lines are his. I loved him from the series anyway, but I always looked at a soft spot for Les McQueen. Mm. But after the film, watching the film again, I thought Jeff Tips, what a character! Is the yeah. first thing we see Jeff do when he pretends to kill himself in the toilets? Is that is that the first Jeff episode? First or uh, second? It's early, isn't it? Yeah, it's funny how much he changed from series one to the film because he's he's like genuinely quite unlikable, funnily unlikable. Yeah. Just like slagging Steve Pemberton's character's fiance off, and like you say, yeah. trying yeah. to kill himself in it. Yeah. <laughs> and now he's just sort of a lovable buffoon. By the time we get to the film, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But he he was based on a character that the writers were in a restaurant and they overheard a guy trying to tell a joke to his friends, but kept getting interrupted. Yeah. So that's wow. the sketch where he, he draws the gun on them. That was how they devised the character, the Mau Mau joke. Imagine that, three grapes up your ass. Grapes are only really small, though, aren't they? <laughs> oh, you've heard it. But through this film, yeah, his development, I just think it is wonderful. I, I love it. You, you, yeah. you, really, you really root for him all the way through, which is impressive for such an unlikable character yeah. initially. Anyway. A lot of... Jeff's lines, if you, I suppose, if you read them just on the page, aren't necessarily funny. It's, it's massively down to Reece Shearsmith's delivery. Yeah. For example, I'm not an octopus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I always yeah. think of Reece Shearsmith in terms of delivering a line that isn't funny on paper, but is when he delivers it. Is when he guest starred on Spaced. And uh, I can't remember what it is that Simon Pegg and Nick Frost say to him at Robot Wars. It's something about if somebody catches him, they'll be in trouble. And his response is, Oh yeah, I don't thought of that! <laughs> yeah, that's so good. I think that was his reply on Twitter to that rant Simon Pegg had about Rishi Sunak in mathematics. Oh yeah. He, j- he literally just replied, Oh yeah, I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> Excellent. I didn't Touché. see that. That's- Go back to what Craig says about the catchphrase characters. I think that yeah. was a part where the meta side of it worked. They were kind of self-aware. They said, like, we're too weird for this mission. Mm. And that's why yeah. you sent mm. Briss and Jeff and Hairlip. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that so wasn't that, that... their idea, was it? They got the key and I think Bernice wanted to send herself and Chinnery. Right, yeah. okay, yeah, yeah. That's Christ right. knows what that would have been like <laughs> if they'd they gone through. <laughs> I don't think it would have gone well. No. <laughs> One of my favourite gags uh, that recurs is, I think it's the first thing in, in the film, the uh, the dramatic sort of chase style music, which turns out to be Jeremy Dyson, played by Michael Sheen's ringtone on his phone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember oh, watching so it good. in the cinema at the time, and that got a big laugh from, uh, I think it was myself and Craig, yeah. who went to see it, and it just instantly sets you up. 
simple yet clever. Yeah, I think that was the first time that I had seen Michael Sheen on screen. I don't remember yeah, seeing him in anything before mm, that. Yeah. That's my first. That's my first note. It just literally says "Young Michael Sheen." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Doing it. And he does look like Jeremy, Jeremy Dyson. Dyson. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Yeah. Does, yeah. I'm not sure what Jeremy Dyson is up to these days. He wrote ghost stories, didn't he? And then they made the film of it a few years later. I haven't heard anything from him since. Mm. Probably still in a coma. <laughs> He's in this, isn't he? He pops up in the hospital at the end. Yes. Blinking, you miss it. As a porter or something like that. Oh, is he? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. During the course of the series, he doubles as Jeff for Rishi Smith quite a lot. Because yeah. when he right. puts the Jeff prosthetics on, he looks exactly like Reese Shearsmith. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, strangely enough, Reese Shearsmith can't drive. So if there's any yeah. scenes that actually require him to drive, they'll either push the just have him pushing the brake, yeah, <laughs> and rolling in and pushing the brake. Or if he has to drive it on screen, it'll be Jeremy Dyson dressed as Reese Shearsmith yeah. driving the car. I always thought it was quite unusual for performers to drive anyway. I thought they usually put the car on the back of a, a, a little flatbed flat truck. And, yeah, a little dolly yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah. Like if they need dialogue, right? But I mean, if it's, you just want a shot of him pulling up. Yeah, good point. Mm. I think. Does he not drive in Inside Number Nine? Picturing an episode where he drives up to a house in Inside Number Nine. He might nine. drive by now, no? Maybe. He's in his 50s now, isn't he? So. He might have got his fucking time to learn. And then go and learn. <laughs> Dylan and I watched the live Halloween special of Inside Number Nine a couple of hours ago because he, he didn't want to watch it on his own. He was freaking out too much. He got about 10 minutes into it <laughs> last night when the, the camera starts panning across the studio and it's empty, and he was just like, nope. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Do you call him a fanny? No. no. <laughs> so I was just going to, and this probably derailed the conversation a little bit, but this film, with its very meta story, has got me wondering what films have, have kind of addressed or have gone for a kind of meta style and, and worked really well. Matrix Resurrections. Yeah. I haven't seen that, but I thought Monty Python Holy Grail does it better, I thought. Yes. Oh, with the historian. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I also thought Adaptation does it better. Yeah, it's a difficult one, though, isn't it? Because with, like, Monty Python, the series, and with League of Gentlemen, there's loads of characters and, and scenes where there's catchphrases and memorable sequences and stuff like that. But then they move over to the film... Monty Python's got that again, but it sets up whole new ones, whereas this one, there's bits in it that are quotable, but I think the Holy Grail does it better than, than League of Gentlemen did it, but I mean, that's, I don't think that's surprising anybody, to be honest. What's your favourite quote from Holy Grail? Uh, what he says about biting his uh, legs off when he's uh, had all his limbs cut off. The Black Knight. Like, Come over here, yeah. yeah. Come here, I'll still bite your bloody legs off. <laughs> My favourite, and I say this all the time, or a variation of it, depending on if anybody gives me any information about anything, I do a variation of, how do you know so much about swallows? <laughs> 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 Have to know these things when you're a king, you know. I like, who are you who is so wise in the ways of science? <laughs> what is your favourite colour? <laughs> Red, no blue, no! I like um, <laughs> just the way Michael Palin is gurning as he screams, burn her, during the, uh, the witch floating scene. <laughs> <laughs> and what also floats. <laughs> what? <laughs> Very good. I was watching, um, as we talked about Holy Grail, I was watching a George Harrison documentary this week, and they were saying about the life of Brian, 
and it had John Cleese on a chat show with this god botherer and um they were basically saying oh you you're mocking Christ and stuff like that and and they were defending that and I guess maybe back then there wasn't any sort of conversations about it but now I suppose if if this was f- this League of Gentlemen film was to come out again now there might be a bit more people saying oh you're you're mocking certain minorities and stuff like that I don't know I I, th- I think there would be but I personally don't think there is an issue with this with it for that reason, but I think people could take it the wrong way. There's been a backlash about Papa Lazarou's blackface. Mm. Papa Lazarou, um, I'd say stuff about maybe transgender and... Oh, uh, yeah, with the taxi driver. They dialed Barbara all the way back for the reunion specials, didn't they? Yeah. Did they? I felt like they kind of went with it. I remember watching it thinking, oh, I'm kind of surprised they kept Barbara in. Mm. No, well, they kept her in, but I mean, in terms of laughing at her, it was more of laughing with her. Mm. I think she she was more cracking jokes rather than being the butt of the joke, if I remember rightly. Because mm. she had uh, the op, didn't she? Right. But then it was Chinnery, wasn't it, that did the... Was it the yeah. Chinnery that did the, the op and he, he bodged it and he did, she didn't know what she was when she came out. So mm. I was like, yeah. But I'm, personally, I, I I can look at it like Papa Lazarou and, and, and the men dressed as women and stuff like that and not feel like it's it's punching down, as they say these days mm. yeah but that's your perspective from a position of privilege isn't it so you yeah. can't really be the one to, yeah. to judge that I know but the, the, probably the people the loudest on, on the whole topic would probably be not people that are affected by it that is usually, usually. the way isn't it yeah. <laughs> it's just crazy yeah I mean to me it's quite apparent that Papa Lazarou isn't meant to be a black faced joke of black people if mm. anything Travellers should be offended by Papa Lazarou. Yeah. 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 Selling pegs and three-legged dog. Yeah. And Many wives. Yeah. No, it, it's supposed to be his skin, isn't it? That black face. That, that's his actual... He's, he's just a freak. Yeah. Because he <laughs> puts makeup on, doesn't he? At some point. Yeah. But but then you see the white neck. Mm, and yeah. he's got white hands as well, doesn't he? Yeah, it's, it's just his face that's supposed to be like that. Because when yeah. he becomes Keith Drop... Mm. In series three, he's applying yeah. makeup over the top of his. Yeah, yeah, I, I do remember that, but yeah. yeah. But like Craig says, you know, it's it's all very well for us to say that if you, if you're offended by it, yeah, that's, that's fair enough. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to tell you not to be. No, I know. Yeah. What was your favourite of the three worlds? Did did you have a favourite? What was it, and, and why? I got to say, when I first saw this, when it came out, I was not a fan of the world and characters of the King's Evil. I thought, oh, this is weird and it's un- unfamiliar. But they have become my favourite over the years. I think that's such an interesting concept and I'd love to see them revisit it and go back and, and do more of that stuff. I loved on, on Inside Number 9 when they did the like Witchfinder episode. Hmm. They write that kind of period of history very well and I, I that's my favourite in the movie. Helped, obviously, by uh, the presence of David Warner, who... I think we all love. When he comes on, it ratches it up the class a hell of a lot, isn't it, really? You can yeah. imagine, I don't know if if he hadn't been cast, but as soon as he, he, the presence he brings to that, to the whole movie after that point, when he is introduced, is brilliant. Yeah, I totally yeah. agree with you. I think that the King's Evil world is is like the big turning point. That's the bit where they go, right, okay, this is a movie now. So you can tell there's a bit more money's gone into those sequences and stuff i think you've got most of the big cameos in there as well haven't yeah you? it was nice to see victoria wood in that scene yeah victoria wood 
Bernard Hill. Yeah, from King Theoden to King William the <laughs> Third. Yeah, yeah, camping it up. Who plays uh, Tom Tit? Is that anyone famous? Oh, it, he's he is an old timey <laughs> um, British comedy legend. I I forget um, his name, but yeah, I thought he must be. I'd agree. The King's Evil is my favourite world as well. I think they're just hilariously repulsive. Sir Nicholas Sheet Lightning and his yeah. two sidekicks yeah. with the, yeah. the horrible <laughs> stringy phlegm going into the goblet and yeah. his ridiculous <laughs> plans of secreting a monkey under my coat, perhaps in a wig. <laughs> it's similar, speaking about the Holy Grails, uh, what is your favourite colour to, to cross the bridge? It's a similar sort of gag, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. It's a, a cup of phlegm some uh, toenail yeah. clippings and your eyes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just love the way as well where he just chucks him in the pan and just starts frying it like an omelette or something as yeah. well. I just, I was pissing myself just the way he was doing it. I was just, it was something about it that struck me and I and that was one of the, the bits I laughed at most because I just thought it was absolutely fucking nuts. And he yeah. kind of bends down at one point like he's looking at a recipe. Squinting, yeah. <laughs> it. It's just great part that. I love it. Absolutely loved it. Oh. You forgot his glasses. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Blind fucking homunculus. <laughs> well, my favourite world was Royce and Vasey. I loved going back there. It was just great. Have you seen the reunion specials? I guess they wouldn't have made it over to Japan. So. I saw the Christmas specials, yeah. They did in, like, 2017? Yeah, yeah, a couple of years back. Yeah, I saw those, yeah. I didn't like them the first time around, but having rewatched them in the last couple of weeks, I, I really enjoyed them this time, actually. Uh, I think I was expecting something quite different than than what they delivered, mm. but it, it really worked as as a comment on leaving your old things behind and forging ahead with something new. Right? Yeah, I thought it worked quite well. Yeah, I, I thought at the time, I, I, and I haven't seen it for a good few years, but I remember thinking at the time, this is kind of what they were trying to do with the film, but never quite got it in the film. Hmm. Mm. Um, I think they just did a much more polished job the second time around. Mm. Possibly that comes with age and wisdom and having gone their separate ways and done different things. Mark Gates moving mm. on to Sherlock. Yeah, but... just I think having that gap, that kind of breathing space and, and going back to it, mm. I think uh, it worked. Uh, it's mad to think as well. It, it all started in uh, 1999 and then by 2005 it was all done. On TV, yeah. For me, I thought that's, that's quite a short time. Yeah, from that, from the TV series into the film, I know they've done some, they've done light tours since and stuff like that, and a few bits and bobs. Mm. But I thought for the main body of work, I thought, wow, that because I thought it stretched out over a bit longer time than that. I did, not much longer, but I thought it's still quite short. It is short, yeah. So I was quite impressed. I thought they they sewed it all up. I think by the TV series by two thousand and two, and they said on the interview I watched the other night, they were already. When that finished, they were already writing the film. Mm. So I was like, wow, that's pretty impressive, you know, because they must have had something in mind for it straight away and thinking, we can't do this forever. Let's get it done and the best bits out of the way and then we'll concentrate on other stuff. We saw them live. You were meant to see them live with us. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. That was a while ago, wasn't it? Now I remember. Yeah, it was. Um, Venue Cymru. Two yeah. brilliant things I remember about it. They got heckled and Steve Pemberton shouted, Save your breath, love. You'll need it to blow up your girlfriend when you get home. <laughs> and uh, at the intermission, they played some answering machine tapes. And he was like, 
Hello, love. Thanks for the flowers. You're a good woman and a big woman. Oh, she's bad. <laughs> she's bad, but she's not in. Whenever I get someone's answer phone, that is the message I leave them. <laughs> that or the ones from the cable guy. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> so, what was everybody's favourite scenes, moments, lines? Anything special to mention? The things I like, uh, I'll just read them because they're quite short. Big key. Yeah, uh, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Papa Lazarou hairball. <laughs> yeah. uh, brown fish cakes. <laughs> I made a little brown fish. <laughs> she goes, oh, I've made some fish cakes for you. What kind of fish? Brown. Oh, lovely. <laughs> <laughs> Pissing myself. And then um, my favourite um, visual gag, the Overlooked Hotel. Mm. That's a good one. I love the, uh, the opening homage. To die hard uh, off the cliff <laughs> yeah jerry dyson fall off the cliff it was brilliant yeah i i loved like the general concept i think when we first enter royston vasey in the series we see like a, a real world person kind of going into this this odd mm. world and like the concept of the film i thought was clever is it reverses that we start to see these kind of odd characters going into the mm. real world and so I, I did like that as a concept i mentioned earlier the theme tune Absolutely love it. It's so good. Is it Joby Talbot? Joby Talbot, yeah. Amazing. It's just, it's perfect. Really is perfect. My favourite scene is Jeff above the door in Tiger Aspect <laughs> offices. <laughs> have, you, have you seen me? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, I, I loved Jeff's arc like throughout the film. I just think it's, it's wonderful. And then he gives this beautiful speech about free will and becoming the hero. And then he shoots Mark Gatiss. <laughs> I'm glad you went first because the pig mask on the ceiling is one of the things that I, I wrote down. <laughs> and just generally that ties into one of the things that I love about this and that's how many homages and, and Easter eggs there are related to The Shining. Yeah. My favourite of which is the two uh, costume characters in the bedroom. They say, I'm coming in if you come in. <laughs> <laughs> I really love Reese's or Jeff's delivery. We are your characters and we've come into your world. <laughs> 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 one of my all-time favourite gags or lines from this is the one with Peter Kay and Simon Pegg. Tired tonight, are you? Shut up. It's just always made me laugh. <laughs> In the scenes with Dr. P, I love that he's got the devil dancing under a little cloth. <laughs> Just doing a little dance. Yeah. And I love how he says, uh, it begins in a minute. <laughs> yeah, I've got that as well. I love when, when Hillary's reading what Jeff has written on Steve's computer. He is a hero. His cock is big. <laughs> His cock is big is the second time he's written it, isn't it? Yeah. Jeff, a hero with a big cock. <laughs> he is a hero. His cock is big. <laughs> Just one more. When Jeff is knighted and he goes, Oh, God, yeah, my knees crack then. <laughs> <laughs> got no inner monologue, has he? Just says everything. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, you bad sod. Uh, that's a good selection. What are your favourite bits on Gears? The fact that Toby Dyson lives in a lighthouse. Presumably it's supposed to be on the White Cliffs of Dover. I think it's yeah. amazingly bizarre yeah. with zero explanation <laughs> given. 
<laughs> and then he, he plunges uh, seemingly to his doom, like Lord Manly Supreme said. I like the reference to Great Expectations when Briss is running across the moors in uh, manacles mm. like Magwitch. Oh, yeah. Trying to cut them off. And then <laughs> when uh, when Jeff comes by in his car and uh, Briss and the <laughs> lip get in, first thing Jeff says is, oh, brilliant, soaking wet <laughs> when they get in. <laughs> That's just reminded me of another Jeff one that I love. When they get into the real world and they first watch the videotape of the League of Gentlemen, and uh, they turn off the tape and he goes, oh, that's right, turn it off when I come on. <laughs> I like in the white room with the flickering light bulb that lets them change universes and that Jeff and Hare Lip are trying to escape from Hillary Briss. So Jeff just goes, oh, look, there's a load of sausages. <laughs> yeah. uh, in the... The tiger aspect uh, production offices. <laughs> when Jeff's trying to find something to smash the fire alarm, he says to the lady, Have you got a spanner or a dildo or something? <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, there's the, the line again from Jeff to uh, Victoria Wood's Queen character when he just leans over to her and says, Would thee like to see my cock? It's gone bloody massive. <laughs> when have I been put in? <laughs> And I'll just do one more. I've got loads, but I'll just do one more. It's uh, the first scene when, when Hair Lip has disguised himself as Steve Pemberton and he's um, trying to impersonate his voice walking down the street to meet <laughs> Shearsmith. And he's just going, oh, hello, Mr. Shearsmith, mate. And then he says, I'd forget the own head if it wasn't fucked on. <laughs> Another excellent scene that I, I just realised was on my list, but I didn't mention, was the reveal in the London Eye. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Chris and Helen having the argument, and then you see all the other yeah. people on the other side. Just talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> Do you reckon that came before Doc Cotton and Jim Branning getting engaged on the London Eye or after? I don't remember. Oh, I don't know. Maybe they were on, on the uh, cart below them or something. Yeah, could be, yeah. Yeah, they heard that they already had it booked, so they jumped yeah. in. Got a twofer. Trying to upstage the League of Gentlemen. Yeah. <laughs> my favourite line is um, when Jeff is reading the script on the computer and Steve Pemberton's in the bath and he's like what you're not seeing Evil Dead that bit where twigs are going up a fanny brilliant <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Jeff probably had most of the best lines in this film to oh be fair. easy it's his film they put me in a box with my coat on I know it doesn't sound like much when you say it out loud but if we're going for one that isn't from Jeff this is probably my favourite these frescoes speak of a time when the mantle of darkness shall be riven by fire. The turbulent sea shall swallow up the earth and a giraffe will spunk up over a load of old biddies. I would also like to do a big shout out to the stop motion animation. I know you mentioned it earlier, guys. Hmm. This is the first time I watched the film, I think. I can't remember watching it before. And when the smaller homunculus and then the beast at the end, I was just like, oh... This is modern stop-motion animation, apart from obviously fully animated films and stuff. There's an argument to be made that they could use it still. I know it looks a bit more... It's not quite as realistic as it's like CGI and stuff like that, but it's a, it's a fucking fantastic art. Yeah, have you seen uh, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio? No. Yeah, it's, it's really good. It's wonderfully fluid. Is it? Oh, is yeah, that stop-motion as well? Oh, yeah. I'll have to yeah, give that a whirl. It's really good. But I, I just think it's absolutely brilliant. Um, I'm obviously a big fan of Harryhausen. 
and things like that. And, and I remember watching all all those movies on like Sunday afternoons normally, wasn't it, and stuff like that. Speaking of the stop motion, the final confrontation between Hilary Briss and the the three headed homunculus is designed and shot to be exactly like a fight scene in Jason and the Argonauts, right down to Mark Davis's yeah. stabbing upwards motions. Ah, yeah. In the making of, he's trying to get it exactly the same as the actor in Jason and the Argonauts. <laughs> it's usually where you can tell, isn't it, the interaction between the, the actors and the whatever they're animating. But I think it, it looks really good in this. and uh, yeah. You can tell yeah. they spent a lot of time getting that, that right. Mm. That's been sold. That uh, The three-headed humunculus has been sold. Oh, really? It came up on a online prop sale mm. in 2017. Okay. And it was estimated to go between 1500 and two and a half grand and it i think it went for over three and a half grand in the end seems like a bargain for a piece of work such as that seems like a reasonable price to me oh yeah unless the material had started to degrade or rot away there was a couple of fingers missing off one of the um one of the claws but other than that it looked brilliant there's something else about that final sequence in the making of they talk about how it was originally supposed to take place on royston basie high street with the shops and the notable locations from the series sort of exploding in flames and the ground rupturing, but they said we didn't have anywhere near enough money to do that, so we did it in the in the <laughs> no. church graveyard. Yeah. <laughs> Practical considerations and, and yes. the budget uh, meant meant that their ambitions couldn't quite be met. I think they had to argue quite quite hard to get the budget they got for this film. Some of the time in pre-production was actually convincing people to give them the money to make this film because obviously the vast majority of the fans are going to be UK based so they had to make the case to get the money for the film so I think that it shows sort of like in some areas they spent a lot of money and then others you can tell it's back to the bone isn't it pretty much Mm. well you know with what they've gone on to do and you know their profile now if they tried to make a film I'm sure they'd be able to secure the budget more easily mm. and with that kind of benefit of time and distance mm. between the series i wonder w- what they would be able to do now mm. i'd love to see another one it'd be interesting you know they might have something in a pipeline well they're doing two more series of inside number nine aren't they they're doing yeah. nine series they've said nice. see where they go from there according to the halloween live inside number nine special they're in a whatsapp group with the league of gentlemen boys so well and truly <laughs> in touch as of four years ago <laughs> 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 I read that the characters from the King's Evil in the original draft were a lot darker and less sort of bumbling. Hmm. So that could have been quite interesting. The one thing I find quite interesting is how many of our favourite British comic actors and writers end up doing horror. You have The League doing this and then Psychoville and then Inside Number 9 just got progressively further away from comedy and more into horror. Simon Pegg did Shaun of the Dead, and uh, Steve Coogan did Dr. Terrible's House of Horrible. Mm-hmm. They all seem to be horror fans and end up doing some kind of horror. Garth Marenghi. Yeah. <laughs> it's the best genre, so, you know, they're quite right to. Yeah. <laughs> I find that increasingly as I get older, that I just get more and more into horror. But it's ripe mm-hmm. for parody. Ripe. That as well, yeah. Yes. Yeah. It, and inherently can be funny on its own as well yeah are we ready to move on to the competition i am so am i or do we need to comment on the villain plot 
Uh, mm-hmm. Yes, yes, we do. Yes, we do. Broccoli rating and all that. <laughs> so, what did everybody think of Dr. Erasmus P's evil plot? Uh, what was it? Dr. Erasmus <laughs> P's evil plot in the League of Gentlemen's Apocalypse is to uh, seize the creators, being Rishi Smith, Steve Pemberton, and Mark Gatiss, uh, and use them to shape the world to his will. Yeah. Presumably. He doesn't state that, but presumably that's what he wants to do. <laughs> yeah. That's the one we're going with. Yes. <laughs> Notionally, it's a brilliant idea, but his execution of it is about as bad as it could be. <laughs> yeah. Piss poor. Yeah, it's just on a wing and a prayer, isn't it? It's just evolves as he finds out he's a character. Yeah. Then he just goes, oh, I'll, I'll make this, I'll do that, and I'll kill him, and, uh, and then, oh, he's dead. Shit. Hoist by his own petard, of course. Indeed. Yeah. And for those reasons, which I agree with completely, he gets three florets of broccoli. About the same as last week. Was it? Was it three florets of broccoli last week? Who knows anymore? I haven't been tracking them. <laughs> <laughs> what was the film last week? Um, Crouching Tiger. Yeah. Ah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, you look a bit put out there, Craig. <laughs> Everybody said they liked it. You know what I mean? <laughs> I remembered. I, I cared. I'll be honest. I forgot. Remember Chewbacca? It's a lot to keep up with, isn't it? And I'm already, I'm always thinking about the next one. Like a shark, always going forward. <laughs> Can't turn around because sharks don't have necks. Exactly. Can sharks look up. They can talk, but they can't swear. <laughs> yeah, for my part, uh, Dr. P's plan is the same thing. Uh, it's, a, it's a good goal, but he, he's not got much of a plan as he kills his sidekicks to make a, a new homunculus seemingly on spur of the moment. And it gets defeated quite easily, actually, by Hillary Brisk. <laughs> it doesn't actually do a hell of a lot, does it? No, it just sort of stands there and flies a bit going, eh, eh, <laughs> <pink sounds. laughs> And then he gets turned into a pea. So... But to be fair, he didn't have free will, so that makes it hard. Mm. True. Mm. This is the part of the show where the panel of peril compete for the title of this week's Most Diabolical. And with that comes the reward of two mega points on our Season 2 <sighs> leaderboard. Although I, as host, will only gain one point should I win as I have the home advantage. In the League of Gentlemen's Apocalypse, Dr. P tries to gain control of the creators of the League of Gentlemen in order to do his bidding and shape the world as he sees fit. He is sadly foiled by a man in an uncomfortably warm coat and a homunculus. How can we possibly improve upon that scheme is my question. Now, let's do this! Son of a bitch. First up, (laughs) we shall have Lord Manly Supreme, please. Alright. So, Jeff writes himself into the King's Evil as hero, as he does in the film. I capture him as I do in the film, and take him back to my dungeon to torture him for information, as we do in the film. (laughs) Red hot poker to the rectum, rusty nipple clamps, 
paper cuts between the toes, and finally the box with his coat very much still on. <laughs> Jeff sings like a canary. He tells me all about the device he used to alter reality and travel to 1690. A computer. I realise that if I have this, I can control the creators with ease. But first I need more information. He tells me of his world, motorised carriages, refrigeration boxes, moving pictures. Movies, as they're known, intrigue me. Tell me more, I say. He tells me about a movie called Evil Dead. He is particularly enthused about the part where all them twigs go up her fanny. <laughs> he talks of many other moving pictures. Rambo, Jaw Oars, Bat, Aries, Not Included, Deer Hunter, Inner Space. Aha, the perfect plot hatches in my brilliant mind. I command Jeff to take us to the computer, which he duly obliges. Once there, I command Jeff to work on the magic box, entering my instructions precisely. Jeff and I then find ourselves outside the church in Royston Vasey in a showdown with the three creators. We hold them and their other creations at gunpoint. Then I take out three silver syringes from my pouch and inject the creators one by one. Steve Pemberton rubs the spot the needle entered. Little does he know that Lemuel Blizzard is now travelling through his bloodstream in a tiny steampunk <laughs> craft. Likewise, Reese Shearsmith now has Father Halfheart coursing through his veins, and Sir Nicholas Sheet Lightning has entered Mark Gatiss unawares. My co-conspirators all head towards the creator's brains. Once in the cerebral cortex, where most information processing in the brain occurs, they place tiny magical devices that give me complete control over the creators. They are now slaves to my will and I am free to shape the world as I see fit. Which of course includes an big humunculus. An big humunculus. Mm. Very good. Channeling your inner Dennis Quaid there, eh? Indeed. Very good. And a little bit of Martin Short. <laughs> yeah, mad face. Well, the first question has got to be, how do they get to the computer which is in the real world without going through the vestibule in the church uh, wizard did it it's all the same location isn't it isn't there the same church in each world isn't that the idea yeah that's the that's the gate isn't it that's what i presumed yeah there's a gate in the church in the 1600s as well yeah i think so yeah that, that's the it's the it's the it's the thing it's like the it's the fulcrum yeah. yeah, it's the thing that ties all the worlds together, so they go through that and they go to whichever world and stuff, don't they? Okay. Who's the homunculus at the end of your plan? Is that Shearsmith, Gates and Pemberton? Uh, yeah, he just he just loves homunculi, so he just creates okay. a giant one. He writes it, gets <laughs> gets the creators to, to create it, and okay. he has it. Okay. He doesn't actually use it for anything, because by then he's already got full control. She said Tubbs, Papa Lazarou and Edward together. <laughs> yeah. I got one more question, which is about Sheet Lightning and his uh, compadres. Why do they continue to help Dr. P? The only thing they care about is the Protestant king. Um, He promises to kill the Protestant king once he has full <laughs> control of the creators. <laughs> All right. Crosses his heart. He says, it will be easy to kill the Protestant king once I have control of the creators. 
And Sir Nicholas Sheet Lightning goes, Oh, yes, rah, 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 rah. <laughs> and then they get on with it. All right, well answered. <laughs> no further questions? Okay, let's move on. I feel I got off quite lightly there. Thank you. <laughs> let's move on to Adam. I'm glad you said that. The mysterious Dr. P has powers that many consider unnatural. Is it possible to learn these powers? Not from a Jedi. His knowledge and use of dark magic, or whatever it is, is terrifying. I'm going to call his power to raise monsters Harryhausenism, an ancient art coveted by many but practised by few. Dr P recognises that the population of Royston Vasey has a common ailment plaguing a great number of the inhabitants. Poor dental hygiene. Yes, we've all seen it. The tufts of many residents are in shocking condition, or missing entirely. While Hillary is fighting the three-headed homunculus, Dr. P chases a group of residents of the town, slaying them and removing their teeth, which he places in a violet velvet sack around his waist. (laughs) Returning to the battle, he begins to scatter the collected teeth in a wide circle around the church. As Hillary finally slays the homunculus, as in the film, Dr. P steps in and finishes him off. Once again, confronted by Jeff, Dr. P raises his hands slowly in the air and the ground where he's scattered the teeth begins to shift as skeletons begin to emerge. The skeletons attack Jeff and pull him limb from limb. Dr. P enters the church as the skeletons burst through the windows and grab hold of Harelip, who fires off his last shot futilely at the skeletons and secure Gatiss and the others. If Harelip kicks off too much, then he can be gotten rid of. As Dr. P's creations round up the surviving residents, he begins to dictate to Gatiss his vision for the future, one where the residents of Royston Vasey accept him as their new ruler and monarch. Perhaps a new local shop for Tubbs and Edward. Papa Lazarou to have his own wonderful theatre of freaks. The point is, give them what they're used to, convince them they need these things, smoke and mirrors to keep them from straying back into thoughts of freedom. And, at the very centre of Newtown, a coliseum where all non-locals will be forced to fight in the arena against more of his homunculi. And they all lived happily ever after. (laughs) So, he gathers teeth. Teeth, yes. And then the skeletons sort of spring forth from the teeth. Yes. If I understood that correctly. Correct, yes. You know what would probably be easier than stepping out of the battle to collect teeth from the villagers? He's not Yeah, he's not in a battle, though. When Briss is, is fighting the homunculus, yeah. he's he's buggering about, isn't he? And Briss is, like, but, I mean, jowling with him. That fight took about, what, 45 seconds? And <laughs> Ed, how long did yeah, he they, got they, to collect they edited the teeth? It, they, they edited it down quite a bit. Oh, you, well, so Briss was at it for, like, 15 minutes. Yeah. Nevertheless, let's say for argument's sake, he had enough time to step away from the battle, yeah. whether he was yeah. in the battle or not, to collect yeah. some teeth from the villagers. Yes. Given that the battle takes place in a graveyard, which would be full mm. of skeletons, why <laughs> would he bother doing that? All the, all the, well, they're all buried <laughs> under the ground. He's going to have to fucking dig up loads of graves. It's a bit of a silly idea <laughs> the, there. The skeletons are buried under the ground in Jason the Argonauts and they all climb their way up. But they're not, we don't, they're not in coffins. Yeah, they're not in coffins, no. Let me go. Begin inside a coffin going, help, let me out! Let me out, I can't get out to stab people! Coffins rot. By the time they're skeletons, the coffin's gone as well. No, not these ones. 
Not hard oak. Made stone, stone. Made made of marble. Some of these fucking coffins. Stone sarcophagi. Sped no expense. Yeah, they're uh, surprisingly rich, Royston Vasey folk. Yeah. Despite it being grim up north. <laughs> <laughs> they're just worried about zombies. That's all it is. That's the only reason they pay for good coffins. Well, in that case, I was trying to help you out, but now I'm with Ben. I don't think you got enough time to collect them teeth. Well, I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not collecting them. It's Doctor P. You are Doctor P in this scenario. No, we're not. One of these days, we're gonna have to go over the rules of this game again. Nobody's Doctor P. I... You're Doctor P in most scenarios. To be fair, <laughs> at some point, let's get together and explain the rules of this game again, so we all get it. No, no, <sighs> we'll miss out on a lot of laughs if we understand the rules. Keep going blindly. I'm the narrator. I'm just. I'm just. I've just read the plan. That's all. He's just I'm a conduit. Him. I'm not him. Plans flow through him. Just Jeff <laughs> sat at the computer. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's have Craig's plan. An humunculus. He's so close to getting it. Dr. P's command of the diabolic arts allows him to conjure an abominable creature with the head of a man and two other heads of two other men and the body of a sort of dinosaur or something. However, the heads of Sir Nicholas Sheet Lightning, Ponsington Snottington Smythe, and Silas Halfart lack the wit, wisdom, or charm to achieve anything other than destruction. The townsfolk of Royston Vasey comprehend that their survival rests on the very antithesis of this, in creation. The League of Gentlemen wish to move on to other projects. At least, some of their number do. However, they might find it more difficult to split off into Psychoville and Sherlock if they shared a monstrous body. Take for yourself the heads of the creators and fuck them onto one body. <laughs> the resulting aberration now shares the geeky knowledge of Gatiss, the comic genius of Pemberton, and the silly little voices of Shearsmith. No longer can Reese and Mark piss about while Steve's chained to the desk. They'll all have to sit down and bloody well get on with it. What other choice do they have? Try getting cast as Mycroft Holmes when you're sharing a Hydra-like homunculus body with Reese and Steve, Mark. All right, you might still get cast as a Doctor Who baddie, but after that you've got to be realistic about where your talents lie. Doctor P is the star now, and your master. You will write his destiny as he wills it. First off, his cock will be bigger than Jeff's. Henceforth, he shall be known not as Doctor P, but as Doctor Aubergine, or Doctor Eggplant for the overseas market. Secondly, he shall rule as King of England and reverse the recently introduced window tax. Thirdly, a guinea shall once again be worth 30 shillings and not the recently revised 21. And finally, Quaker Oats So Simple will be regularly shipped to England from America several centuries sooner than planned to combat inflated oat prices caused by the seven ill years. Really, the possibilities are endless, and these will simply be Dr. Aubergine's first thoughts. With the creators now his creation... All of creation is his to recreate for his own recreation. <laughs> so, I think I've boiled your plan down to three words. Homunculus, the creators. That's it. Mm-hmm. Is homunculus a verb? It is now. Yeah. Homunculify? They're trying to split up, but I'm going to force them all to get on. I was disappointed you got the characters wrong at the start. I didn't. Pontington's Nottington's Smythe is his real name. No, that's what they say as a joke when they're reading the uh, computer. Mm. We're going to change that. Very disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when things get turned into a homunculus, do they not lose their intelligence? 
Mm. Seems like they're least no, intelligent. That was just about what I was going to say, yeah. No, they don't. <laughs> what do you base that on? That they don't? <laughs> didn't ask this question of Ben, did you? I didn't use a homunculus as my main part, the main point of my plan. It was just a little bit of flavour at the end. There's no evidence that that happens. Just because the homunculus that had the heads. There's no evidence. There's, are you going to no answer the question or are you just going to keep asking it over oh, and over again? No, oh, here we go. He's fighting. He's fighting. I'm not biting. You're just interrupting. <laughs> I was going to say there's no evidence to, because it doesn't support your plan. That's what. You, yeah. There's no evidence that the homunculus that has the heads of Nicholas Sheet Lightning, etc., has lost its ability to think. Just because it's snapping at people, that's what they do because mm. they're all evil. I think they'd probably be a bit more coordinated than that and say, "What the fuck? Are, what are we doing up here now? What the bloody, oh, bloody hell? Let's go and squash some people or run away." I didn't say that they could speak though. If you sit them down at a computer. That homunculus <laughs> with its three heads could still bash out a perfectly so good sitcom can't, script. Can't communicate, but they're happy, happy to come up with complex works. Exactly. Like okay. enough monkeys. I'm buying it, I'm buying it. Would their arms be long enough yeah. to reach the keyboard? They'd have to invent a massive computer. Well, that homunculus in the movie is designed to have long necks and you know claws and shit. But the little one he makes before is completely different. It has wings. Ah, okay. It's got a big head. He can design it to whatever shape he wants. So, so go on. What, what shape one, would you have? Well, this one's designed for writing <laughs> sitcoms and stuff. So it has <laughs> the fingers of a pianist, basically. And it has really good posture for sitting at a desk. And, uh, you know, it just has three heads that are kind of within growling distance of each other because they all want to split off and do different projects, but they can't now. They just share one body. There you go. Let's say they're, like one of them's eating a donut. Are the heads close enough to pass the donut mouth to mouth? Oh, yeah. If they each want a bite? <laughs> oh, yeah. All right, good. I'm satisfied. In fact, if you get them a yum-yum, they don't even... You just put it in the middle one's mouth, the other two don't. <laughs> <laughs> or a pretzel. Yeah, pretzel. A baguette. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Then I will conclude the plans with my plan. Dr. P, yeah? He's a mage, isn't he? A sorcerer, a blooming wizard, right? Then surely all he needs to do is cast his travelling back in time spell. Once Steve Pemberton gets shotgunned in the brain pan, P should commence Operation Gaz's podcast plan. Back he will go. Backwards, backwards, backwards. To Royston Vasey. And the time before the floating plastic bag, before New Road, and before the nosebleeds. If you'll recall, Royston Vasey was beset by a spate of fatal nosebleeds, the cause of which was traced to an addiction to local butcher Hilary Briss's special stuff. Not merely eyelids and bumholes, this under-the-counter item's provenance is unknown, but its effects are potent. So grab a load of that, yeah? Then, <laughs> right, zip up zoop over he goes to the real world. The world of Pemberton, Shearsmith and Gatiss. Special stuff at the ready. P finds out who the caterers are for the league's production offices. They'll have caterers or suppliers, okay? <laughs> and supplants the owner of the business, shrinking her in size and putting an opulent wig atop her head. <laughs> Taking the order of the office in his Prosecco O'Clock notepad each day. Dr. P would slowly begin to recommend that the League trio try a special delicacy that the company have acquired. Their collective interest piqued, they would have no choice but to sample the special stuff. 
Over a period of weeks, P would give them both hot and cold meals infused with the special stuff, making sure that they know you were the only supplier in the area. Their enjoyment would turn first to longing, then need, then addiction to the special stuff. P reveals his identity to the boys. Oh yeah, we were thinking about offering David Warner a role, says Shearsmith. He tells them that in exchange for writing a new draft of The King's Evil, in which he is supreme ruler of the world, he will continue to supply them with the special stuff. Even though they know how this will all end for them, the League are hopeless to resist the addictive properties of the forbidden meats and are now Dr. P's personal world builders. Very meta. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very nice. How would the uh, time travel plan go in your mind? Or the the time travel spell, rather? Well, what I did was I uh, (laughs) googled the word from Harry Potter, but I I didn't think it was very interesting, so I didn't bother including it in the plan. So he would say something like... uh, Time traveler, and he would like do some kind of strange <laughs> shit with his hands, and then he would just zip up zip away. And who would have told him about this special stuff? Uh, he will have uh, seen it in the videotapes that were being shown to Harlot, Jeff, and Briss. Okay. That's clever. I had a dream that was very scarily similar to this because I was I watched the film the other night and I went to bed that night and I had a weird dream where there was special stuff being served at like a buffet. So it was I was like, <laughs> this is fucking deja vu. Gaz wow. accepted you to try and curry your favour for the vote. <laughs> I suppose because it's a TV series, time is linear. So time travel would be... Theoretically possible. Yeah. He's a wizard man, he can do near enough what he wants, except for shape the world without the creators. He do what he wants, yeah, he just makes it up as he goes along. Yeah, but I mean, whenever you get into time travel in any film, you're on you're on shaky ground. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a big can of worms. I mean he kinda of does travel in time, doesn't he? By going through the Nexus. Yeah. He comes from sixteen ninety six probably. To yeah. present ish. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. But it's all True. it's it's all it's all the same time, really. It's just a story written at that specific time, isn't it? So it's not really the 1600s. It's yeah. Just like, do you know what I mean? It's not. It's not anywhere. Yeah. So it's all happening concurrently. Yeah. Then that would mean that all the events of the first season happen concurrently with the third and the movie, etc. So time mm-hmm. travel to the point in time mm-hmm. where Gaz is suggesting would be possible. Mm-hmm. Well, the first season, etc., they were written at different times. But they're still just written, you know? Yeah, I think it's confusing, and if we try and go into it any far- further, <laughs> Gaz's plan will just frit away like dust the, in a the, wind. Uh, there's already a can of worms open here. I think we're opening another couple of cans of worms by talking about it as much, probably. <laughs> but let's say it's possible, just so Gaz doesn't cry. Of course it's fucking possible. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> With the power of magic, anything is possible. He's a fucking wizard, man. I believe I made that quite clear. He's a wizard. And he does move his hands to cast a spell, so that all checks out. Okay. Some absolutely diabolical plans there, as per usual. We had Lord Manly Supreme's plan, which involved injecting the King's Evil trio into the League of Gentlemen trio in an inner space-type scheme and altering their brain chemistry from within. 
to become P's slaves. Adam's plan involved confiscating a lot of teeth and placing them in a circle, which would then spring <laughs> forth an army of skeletons to take control of Vasey and the creators. We had Craig's plan, which involved turning the creators into a sitcom writing homunculus slave. And then we had my plan, which involved time travel to get the League creators addicted to special stuff and become peace slaves. So, if everybody is ready to cast their votes, players. I can confirm I'm ready. Ready. I have got the French panel's vote. Nil point. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Adam, how did you vote? Well, I voted for the plan that I would have done if I would have remembered it, so I voted for Gares. Oh. Very wise, mm. very wise. Oh. Lord Manly Supreme, who have you voted for? I loved the idea of a homunculi built specifically for writing sitcoms, so I vote for Craig. Oh. Yeah. Craig, who have you voted for? I'll give you a clue. I've written a five-letter name. Uh, I voted for our friend Garth. Garth gets my vote. Garth. (laughs) And I changed my mind (gasps) mid-writing down. Mid-writ. Oh, Lord Manly Supreme. Oh, I because thought, I thought oh. it was gonna. I thought the, it was gonna be two way split. Then the inner space reference quite took me by surprise, and uh, I found it slightly delightful. <laughs> and on that basis, <laughs> I gave it a vote. That's <laughs> Gaz's benchmark. You just need, slightly delightful. You just need to make something slightly delightful, and you vote for you. Note that down. So is that two for me? Yeah. One. One for me, one for Lord Manley. So you're the winner. Uh, so I get one point as I had the home advantage. And ah. so the current standings on the season two Ooh. leaderboard after three full rounds <gasps> go thusly. In joint first place is myself, Gaz, and Craig Ooh, with seven spicy. and a half points. Wow. Mm. And joint second place, joint second half points, <laughs> is Whoa. Lord Manly Supreme and Adam. Wow! wow. Whoa. This is shaping up it's to be a contest, folks. It's really yeah. hotting up. Cat on a hot tin roof. Nail biter. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how many round... how many rounds we got left? This two two rounds left now, isn't it? All right. Have I got that right? Yeah, because there's four of us, so there should be five rounds. Yes. Yeah. Well, we've orbited the sun once more. And so Adam will be hosting the podcast next week with his choice of film. Is it a good one, Adam? Or is it shit? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I, I'm fairly confident in my selection. But instead of telling you, I am going to play the theme music via the medium of 8-bit. So uh, prepare yourselves. We are live oh, tonight. Are you watching porn? Where it? (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) 
are going to be watching 1993 Jurassic Park. And that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Thank you very much for listening. And if you like what you hear each week, please follow us. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Give us five stars on Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Subscribe on YouTube and tell your friends in person and on social media. Word of mouth is the best tool that we have, so please tell your friends about Diabolical. We've had a few reviews on Amazon Music recently, and that's helped our visibility hugely, so just know that it does help. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at DiabolicalPod. And next week, we'll be back to discuss Jurassic Park, and we hope you'll be back too. Until then, remember... Everything will be alright in the end, and if it isn't alright, then it isn't the end. So we've got to get the shaving can off the island, is that? Or we've got to get the embryos off the island. You've got to get the embryos. It doesn't have to be shaving cream. It's You've got to get those embryos off the island and survive yourself as well, I'd say, yeah. Get those embryos off the island. You can't just post them via FedEx or anything. Everybody just have a look at Lord Manny Supreme's little face and I can already tell he's thinking about keistering them. His first thought <laughs> popped into his mind. That's my first thought with every, every class. <laughs> Is there a way I can keister this? Will it fit he's got on his badge? <laughs> That's the thing he's written on his pad now, isn't it? Will it fit? <laughs> oh my God, this one's a triceratops. Oh! <laughs> I knew I should have left him in the test tube. <laughs> oh man. Sounds like a subscription meal replacement, doesn't it? Dr. P's plan. <laughs> Dr. P's homunculus plan. All the nutrition your grandma needs delivered to her doorstep. It's like the Atkins diet, but instead of all meat, it's all peas. Different types of peas. <laughs> That's just, you're describing Hewell. Oh. Hey, Hewell, if you want to sponsor our podcast, send me some Hewell. Yeah, uh, what's the point? You can just eat just eat a tin of mushy peas instead of buying Huel. Ooh, yeah. that's what I do. I'd eat a tin of mushy peas I've got, right I've got now. Five ti- I, I know. I fucking love them straight out of the tin. <laughs> Is that why you're farting all the time? Because you eat tins of mushy peas. <laughs> I haven't had one for about a week now, but I was, I was thinking about maybe I'm on uh, breakfast tomorrow morning. You got to condense eighteen cans of mushy peas into one meatball if you want to get the same. Uh, you yeah. get out of a drink of Huel. Squash it against your eye as hard as you can, and it looks yeah. <laughs> Remember when Homer's doing power sauce? Is it just Chinese new paper and apple cores? Chung <laughs> <laughs> Chao Ping died. And he puts that spaghetti bolognese into the little cube. He eats eight pounds of spaghetti in one bite. And then he goes, hmm. He picks up the phone. <laughs> Hospital, please. <laughs> oh, he loves eggs. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Dun-dun-dun. 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 Dun-dun-dun.